Welcome to your weekly episode of Reset 42. In each episode, we want to carefully sit with the vulnerability and generosity of a guest who has reset their life. Some have just kicked life into gear again. Others are truly survivors. And we'll speak with people who have dug deep to find their passion and reset to a true north. It all begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Here on the Reset 42 podcast, sometimes we're sitting with people who are facing what seems to be mundane decisions. Just life has gone a little bit off track, or we're facing a fork in the road where a decision needs to be made. But we've also faced some conversations with people that have been deep in tragedy. And you can imagine that anyone facing grief of a loved one is obviously close to the heart and certainly puts us in a position where often we've never faced these things before. And how do we deal with grief? How do we deal with loss? Even worse when it comes to dealing with the loss of a child. Now this interview is very close to home because I'm going to be able to interview my own daughter and the journey that she and her husband have been through with the loss of children when trying to start a family. This one cuts right to the bone, right to the heart, and I hope that you'll pick up some of the lessons that Abby has been able to learn and is still learning as she faces this issue of life. Now, here's your host, Father of the Year in 2009, according to the four judges who received an iPod for Christmas, it's Andrew Pitchford. Well, welcome to Reset 42. This is another episode where we're getting to sit down with somebody who has faced maybe some obstacles, maybe some challenges in life, and has found a few ways to actually reset and keep moving on. And I've got to say, this is probably one of those interviews which I've both been excited about and highly nervous about, because I'm getting to interview my daughter, Abby. Now, Abby, you're the, the eldest of four. Has that had its challenges in the Pitchford family? I think it definitely has. <laughs> Do you ever feel you were the guinea pig? Definitely. Actually, that's kind of how I describe uh, your parenting to my friends if they ask. <laughs> so many evil experiments. You, you guys got, got it right by the, by the time you got to the younger bro. <laughs> We'll pass the message on. I'm sure he's grateful. <laughs> hey, Abby, um, you've you've lived with us, obviously, growing up in New Zealand, and then we moved to Australia and then back to New Zealand. It's had its ups and downs just in terms of all the travel and things we did. But are there some moments that you can look back on and think, those were the parts of the family life that I really enjoyed being a little Pitchford? Um, I, I think I look back to times where like, uh, you and me would uh, watch Star Trek together and definitely the times where you guys took the time to really think about and take us out and to do things that really interested us and I think those really stand out. Yeah, when you look back some of the old family photos it brings back some really good memories and, and I know what you like. <laughs> um, just being able to sit on the couch together and watch a good sci-fi is a good thing Yeah, and it's amazing how much you've actually got a, um, a love of things fantasy. You know you have an incredible artistic talent and uh, what's your favourite thing that you do on the odd Saturday afternoon? Uh, I spend far too much time to pretending to be a creature that is not human, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's lots of fun. I think definitely that element of getting to pretend to be someone else and do things that ordinarily you couldn't dream of doing is uh, definitely a high point of my week. Did you find that you got into the stuff at school or did it come later on? Uh, I believe we weren't allowed to play growing up uh, from memory. Uh, so no, I got into it uh, after uh, my little brother took me to the local game shop and 
the owner there introduced me to some of my now long-term friends and yeah. Talk to me about how your art fits into that because um, when you were at high school, you were incredibly talented in a whole range of art from sculpture to painting and things. And now I see you kind of doing sketches that seem to tie into this activity. Yeah, uh, so I tend to draw my characters that I play or my friends' characters or I'll draw crazy things that we've done, which is always fun. (laughs) Do you have any favourite characters? Uh, So right now... I'm playing a Luna Lovegood-inspired character, and her name's Ogmala, and she's very focused on telling stories and collecting people's stories to tell to others. I have to laugh because you immediately went into the voice and things, and, and I understand even your husband, David, enjoys doing a few voices during D&D. He does. He can pull off some uncannily good voices for his characters as well. <laughs> So for our our Reset 42 audience, I'm here in Brisbane, Australia, talking to my daughter, who's in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, She's coming up being married six years to David. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about your romance story and how you met David? Yeah, so um, we met at a Christian music festival for a mutual uh, Bible college friend of mine and basically started hanging out quite obsessively. I think that's what happens when anyone meets their uh, soulmate. So that's what we did. And we started playing video games together. And yeah, about seven months later, it was sort of like, I really like you. I didn't know he'd actually bought the ring after only three months. So I must have been awesome at that time in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, we were engaged for a year. and, And then we got married. And, yeah, we've been married coming up six years now, which is pretty crazy when I think about it because we got married just, like, a week before I turned 21. So I had my uh, 21st birthday on honeymoon. That's incredible, eh? There was so much that was happening when we think back to that that anniversary. It was your wedding. It was um, birthdays happening. It was the uh, 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, which seemed appropriate. Yeah. So (laughs) incredible time. Yeah. Hey, Abby, let's go back to being the little girl again. Yeah. And, I mean, I can look back and see um, photos in my mind of you dressing up, going to school and things. But were there dreams that you started off thinking, when I grow up, I want to be? What If you filled in the gap, what was it? Um, teacher was definitely a big theme, although not the type of teacher I am now. Uh, back when I was 11, I was like, history teacher, art teacher. Uh, now I'm an early childhood teacher and I wrangle toddlers for a living. Um, so I definitely don't know if I saw that coming. I think I also, I dreamed of I, very stereotypical dreams of, you know, having the white picket fence house and um, eventually having a family. And I, I think that became a bigger one as I like grew older and sort of encountered like more people in life and them uh, following their dreams as well. It's interesting you mentioned the history teacher because I can remember how passionate you were about the horrible history books and (laughs) and you just knew all the information and you'd love just bringing it back up about what happened in 16-something or other and I was just boggled the mind how much information you knew. Yeah, I definitely have an obsessive streak in me. Not sure if that's always a healthy thing. (laughs) These days it's channeled towards study in D&D, but yeah, in the past it's been a bit more useful with history. So you mentioned teaching, but I can see another thing that seems to be a thread. So you started off when you left school, you did part of a nursing degree. Yeah. Then you moved into doing some care and then moved into early childhood. And there seems to be an underlying thread of care there. Is, 
do you feel you've got kind of like a nurturing aspect to you? Oh, definitely. And it's something I use every day in my job. There's a, it requires a high level of empathy to be able to sit with a toddler who's crying over the wrong color cup, you know? So yeah, I think I, I've always had like an element of care in what I like to do. Uh, even as a high schooler, I enjoyed doing Sunday school and helping look after the small children there, babysitting and stuff. So it's definitely always been a theme. What what do you receive out of giving that care? I mean, what does Abby get back? That's a really good question. I think what I get out of it is definitely a sense of usefulness. Um, I think I get get a sense of that I'm I'm doing something that benefits others. That I'm doing something that is meaningful in the long run for like later generations. Not many people can say that their actions every day are affecting like the developmental synapses of like 20 different little beings, you know, I think it's definitely a sense of I'm doing something meaningful for others. And I I really, I think I need that to feel like life is worth living, I suppose. Yeah. It's interesting that um, I know how much you love not only um, looking after the toddlers and things, but you, you're actively involved in your study. You understand the education and the curriculum and how it works, things that are way outside of my understanding. But this isn't a job for you. This, this is a vocation. This is something you, you are passionate about. Is that right? Yeah, I'd definitely say it's a, it's a calling. I feel like even on the hard days where I come home and I cry because I've had a – it's been really tough. Uh, it's definitely – like I still feel like I'm doing what I was always meant to do. It just I kind of went the long way around <laughs> figure that out. Now, one of the things we're, we're trying to discover is, is how people deal with those ups and downs. And I want you to just walk me through what it's been like for you and, and David in terms of you've started this marriage. And there was a part of it, you mentioned the white picket fence, but the idea of having a family. Can you tell me when you began to think about should a family start for Abby and David? Um, I think it started about a year or so in. It was definitely always something I'd wanted to do, I I think my passion had been renewed because I'd gotten my first job uh, in early childhood. So I was around kids a lot then. And yeah, that's definitely when we started thinking, oh, maybe this could be, they, we could start trying. I, we'd always had a plan to start a family. Uh, it had just been a matter of when at the time. And it'd be fair to say that um, David as well is pretty passionate about the idea of, of having children of his own as well. He, he really is. It's definitely something that's uh, on his heart still, yeah. So, so when you look at one of the things that um, I know about the Abby and David family unit is that one little common thread has to be that gaming thing. And when you think about the gaming, it sometimes has these illusions that it's all about kids, but there are so many grown-ups that are gaming today. But it's also seemed like you guys would be quite a unique family in terms of not only gaming together but enjoying gaming with your kids. Did you start to have dreams about what that might look like? Uh, we definitely did. I mean, we've both got, like like any parent who, with any sort of hobby, we've uh, got a list of games or things that we would want to share with potential children, you know? Like, for me, not just gaming, I think it extends to, like, teaching my child how to draw or how to cook. And I know Dave definitely has dreams of sharing his favorite games, like Mar uh, Super Mario and uh like you know introducing them to his lego collection and stuff and i think you get to a point in life where you do want to start sharing more of yourself 
with some, someone beyond your spouse and, yeah, for a lot of people that's children. So what started to happen? You, you started to, to try to have a family and it hasn't been an easy journey. Um, you and I are very close to this. But do you want to share a little bit about what happened in the early times as you started to look at conceiving to have a child? Um, to be honest, like the early days were really quite straightforward. We went to the doctor, we got all the prenatal vitamins and stuff, and it just, um, like any naive 20-something, we just assumed it was a matter of when and not if. And eventually, a few months after trying, we uh, found out we were pregnant, which was super exciting. Uh, and a bit more daunting when we found out it was it was twins. Um, but I appeared healthy and we were set starting to, you know, make plans for the future. How would we cope with two children? What were potential services available to help new parents with twins and stuff like that? So we were definitely, around the 12-week mark, we were definitely starting to make those plans and like let that hope sort of grow. And, and I guess you, you're actually in a community of people. You've got friends that are peer age, that type of thing. Yeah. You're seeing a little bit of this happening around you at the same time? Yeah, we're definitely, we've definitely, we're at that stage where we were starting to see people pair off, starting families and stuff like that. So, um, And we hadn't really encountered anyone who had experienced difficulties in this area. And then, unfortunately, at 13 weeks, we found out we had lost one of the twins and that was really heartbreaking. And we had, from then on in, it was just a very complicated, uh, not straightforward route to what we assumed would be parenthood. Abs, we know it was, it was really emotional. And, and we think of, of Millie, one in a million. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you understood that you had two children in your body, but one you had lost, how traumatic was that in terms of going through the emotions of kind of, you're 13 weeks in, but you know you've got to get to that 36, 38 weeks kind of period. It was really, really scary because we hadn't um, really considered the possibility of not having two children. Uh, we'd never considered the possibility of losing a child. So I definitely played on my anxiety a lot. And it, um, because of other medical conditions, we were actually monitored a lot more closely from then on in. And did you find that you were getting support around you? I mean, family was close to the situation, um, but were you working at that stage? How did that fit into your career at the time? Unfortunately, um, yeah, so we had a lot of friends and family and stuff, but unfortunately my work environment wasn't the most supportive, um, which compounded a lot of the stress, anxiety and depression that I was unfortunately facing at the time. And then we found out there was another complex medical condition that was affecting the twin we still had at about 20 weeks. And that uh, was to do with the blood supply? And that was to do with the blood supply. So without too much medical jar jargon, uh, the twin, Jamie, I call him, uh, that was still in me and still alive, was trying to help out his brother uh, by sharing the placenta and the blood supply, even though his brother wasn't alive. It's incredible just to think what, what you're going through at the time, and and we kind of know the end result, but you you and David had to keep walking step after step towards the end of the pregnancy for Jamie's sake. Do you want to walk us through what was happening then and, and what was the end result? So we progressed through the pregnancy. Uh, unfortunately, my mental health uh, did sort of continue to get a bit worse as the stress and 
the anxiety sort of mounted. Uh, but eventually we got to 35 weeks and it was, I was like preparing for my baby shower. Uh, we unfortunately noticed that Jamie was moving less. And so we um, called up the midwife and she got us to try a whole bunch of things and we were like, okay, that's cool. And I fell asleep. And the next morning, I still wasn't feeling him moving and that was really distressing. And so we went to get an ultrasound. They were going to induce me or start labor to have Jamie born like just three weeks later. This was a fully sized baby. And unfortunately we found out he had passed. Now this was um, quite a traumatic time for us as a family, as you're listening. And and obviously you can imagine for Abby and David, um, David's mum was overseas. Uh, We were in Australia um thankfully we were able to get abby's mum across to auckland very quickly and we were able to be with abby and david and to bring jamie into the world but as sadly a past child um i I don't know if i'm using the right words abby but we were able to hold little jamie in our arms we were really lucky actually uh that the New Zealand health system is such that they acknowledge that this is a time of grieving and they gave us time with Jamie and Millie. So I often get told, oh, you still had to give birth? And it's like, yeah, still had to go through labor, (laughs) Uh, still had to go through all the pain uh, to bring into the world a child that wasn't living anymore. So I was really grateful that we got to spend a couple of days actually with Jamie and Millie before having to uh, hand them over. And we were very beautifully looked after by Baby Lost New Zealand at the time, who did some incredible commemorations of both Jamie and Millie. Yeah, those are memories I, I treasure. Abby, where do you go from here? Um, I know that this has been a journey. Having children has not been easy. You've had some other miscarriages. We know Chip and Jemima Bubbles. And you're trying to walk an incredibly difficult journey. Are you learning from this, not necessarily how to solve the problem, but how to move through it? It's definitely been a journey, but I am, I am learning. I've had to remember, as some people may find this a bit depressing, but there's no bright side to child loss. You can find purpose in the pain, but you, you can't tell someone who's like experienced such a big loss that there's a purpose to it or that it was meant to be because really that's not helping anyone through hearing things that weren't helpful. I've actually been able to learn that it's okay to feel these big feelings. Reset 42. Tired, broken, blocked, wrong way. Whatever the reason, Reset 42 brings real life stories of people like you and I who have reset to start again. What do you think have been some of the things that you've really gathered into yourself during this time? I've learned to that some people will say things that hurt when you lost a dream or you're grieving and you don't have to take those to heart. I've learned that some people will gather around you and be really, really helpful and it's okay to accept that help. It must be difficult trying to almost be hard in terms of being able to deal with it but soft enough to experience life and process the grief. And for, for a time I did shut it out. Uh, 
sometimes it can be a really positive coping mechanism. Keeping busy, uh, too much so, uh, was a way I dealt with it for a long time until I realized that wasn't really helping. Uh, blocking it out, uh, choosing not to feel actually shut me off from a lot more people and shut me off from the help I actually needed to get. Yeah, that probably wasn't as helpful. Did you find any ways of actually breaking out of that that feeling to kind of bring yourself back into the world? A pushing factor was actually not wanting to return to that workplace that hadn't been supportive. And I knew I did, whether it was from shame or embarrassment or just the pain, I knew I didn't want to go back there. And so I started I, I immediately started looking for a new job. Um, and that new job is the requirement was to start study. And it actually pushed me along on the journey that I'd been sort of push, putting off for a while, which was uh, starting my early childhood degree. So I guess something that we can all recognize is that sometimes we think we've got to keep things normal, keep things the same, and we just lock ourselves down. But you were able to identify that doing something new and fresh was actually what you needed? Definitely. I think I definitely needed to change and not stay in the same place. And But for some people, staying in the same place is where they heal as well. But for me, it, I definitely needed the change. I needed the new environment and I needed that push towards a dream that had already been budding, <clears throat> which was starting my study. I guess what you were able to identify about the old workplace is that you could see that there were, I guess, attributes of it being toxic for you and because of that you could move away from it. Definitely, um, yeah. And now you've come into a place where you're studying for the future and I'm sharing as a father to my daughter, I am so proud of everything that you've been able to walk through but also the fact that you were able to go back into a career that is dealing with the children that you've lost. That, that is just overwhelming to me. And I know that in the early stages, and probably even now, you'd have mothers turning up with newborns. That must take an incredible amount of courage to deal with. Um, I, I appreciate that comment. Um, it On days, it can be really hard. On the days where it might be assumed that maybe I don't care as much or that mm, I don't have kids so I can't know what it's like. Those can be really hard days. Uh, but I think it comes down to the fact that it definitely is a vocation. I definitely feel like I was meant to do that and I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Um, and, and I know myself better now. So on the days where that is really hard or I've come across a newborn and maybe today I can't handle it, it's knowing that it's okay to acknowledge you can't handle triggers. Uh, when you've, you're still working through going towards a dream of a family or anything else, I think you definitely need to acknowledge that it's okay to have hard days and it's okay to take a step back and look up, make sure you're looking after yourself first. It's interesting that when we talk about reset, one of the things I want people to be able to grab hold of is that you don't necessarily reset and suddenly you've made a perfect life. There are these resets we do through life. So mm -hmm. you've had a number of these to face through trying to give birth to a children and, and to bring a family into the world. How are you dealing with your dreams in the future right now, just at this point in time? I've, I still have the dream of having a family, but I've allowed room for new dreams. I've been able to acknowledge it's not 
healthy to fixate on just one. If for me, well, for me anyway, it's not healthy for me to fixate on having just one. It's, I mean, any person you meet, they're going to have multiple different hobbies and things they enjoy doing. And so I've actively chosen to cultivate those hobbies and interests. And from that, uh, new, new dreams have formed alongside the one I'm still carrying. I like that. Have there been times when you have to almost give yourself a kick up the backside or a reminder that it is okay to dream again? Definitely. Uh, when I've been struggling, struggling with depression and things like that, I have really had to remind myself that it's okay to dream again and that there are still things worth living for. I've been struggling with my depression long enough to know uh, the triggers to know when it's starting to get bad and I have my own action plan in place to sort of deal with that and I often do that by for a series of self-care and things but also through bullet journaling I can often look back on my bullet journaling as a planner and I can often look back on my planner and say oh I have not done today's to-do list and if that goes on for X amount of days, I'm like, oh, I might need to actually step back and do some me time or I, I've called them self dates <laughs> where I take myself for a coffee and myself for a meal and just spend that time with, with myself, uh, sometimes with a journal, just reflecting, trying to analyze uh, what's going right, what's not going right, and try and make a plan towards what I can do to fix it. I love looking at your bullet journals when you, you might post something on Instagram. And for those that don't know, the whole bullet journaling, it can work for the for the arty and it can work for the more logical. It just gives you that creative space to put things down the way you like them. Is that what attracts you to it? It definitely is. I mean, I'm an artist at heart. And when I first started bullet journaling, it was all art everywhere with the random to-do list. And now actually it's a lot more minimalist. It's okay, this is today's to-do list. I'm moving that task to the next day and it's a lot more functional. But I like that it can change with what I need. So right now I am bogged down with study and it's very simple. <laughs> and do what works. Great, great way for mental health, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, and I think you need to give yourself permission to do what works sometimes as opposed to doing what you feel should be working. Now you made a comment just before about you know, giving yourself those those dates with yourself so you can talk to yourself and kind of work out what's working, what's not. I think that's such a valuable lesson. And then at the same time, there is the Abby and David show. You are a couple walking through this. Can you describe for us what it's been like for David and how you as a couple have worked on this journey together? Um, I can't necessarily speak directly for Dave, but I know it's been really, really hard. Uh, I think he's possibly struggled even more with uh, discovering new dreams uh, to grow alongside the one he has as a family, and that's okay. Um, it's definitely been very hard when sometimes I've wanted to give up on the dream of a family. And, I mean, there have been uh, – you can talk to any couple who've lost a child. That's That can actually lead to divorce. And so we've had to really be careful and talk things through and be flexible and just understand that life happens. Uh, 
it's I don't think on dreams that like having a family that have so many variables I I now don't think it's safe to put a timeline on that Um, because then you're just creating extra pressure for yourself and your spouse that doesn't need to be there. Abby, I've really enjoyed just being able to have you and me time, even though all these people in the Reset 42 audience are listening. (laughs) Abby, you've shared some amazing stuff with us, but is there one kind of reset moment or reset idea that you really can remember was just one time that you were able to see things move forward again? I think it was when I started my degree. That was a pivotal, no, there are still things to do. Uh, it was a dis- the start of dis- discovering a new purpose. And with that, we'll finish Reset 42 for this week. There are still things to do, and we can all discover a new purpose. Abby, thanks for joining us. Love you, Pally. That's quite a pleasure. Thank you. Love you too, Dad. <laughs> well, I'm sure you appreciate that this was an extremely difficult interview to do, but I want to thank my daughter for being absolutely beautiful, transparent, and open with the difficult journey that she and David have been on. I hope that it's one that you'll be able to take something for your situation or share with somebody who maybe has either been through or is facing a very similar set of circumstances. Remember, we say that Reset 42 isn't a formula. It's not a one, two, three step process on how to get things right, but it's to see the opportunity to be able to reset. And for Abby, one of those pivotal moments was when she was able to get herself into her degree and discover that there was more to do. I hope that you find your discovery. Thanks for joining us this week on Reset 42. I love the idea that we can reset life without losing all that we've gained. Think you'll come back for more? Make sure you subscribe to Reset 42 on your fave podcast platform. Leave a loving review my mother would smile at you for. Our show notes aren't hidden down the back of the couch. You can find them at www.andrewpitchford.com forward slash Reset 42.